Adam, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. There's tons for us to cover today, so I'm pumped for this. Yeah, excited to be here. Amazing. One thing I read about Almanac, and I'll let you kind of as a part of this answer, give your formal introduction to Almanac, is that you've interviewed 5,000 entrepreneurs, leaders, people, etc., to have this kind of culminated vision for how distributed work should be done, organized, thought about, etc. Who, you know, how many of those 5,000 interviews were Adam Nathan doing the 5,000 interviews? And like, who was the samples? Who did you interview? Like, who were those 5,000 people? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, we think about what we're selling at Almanac as not just like a better productivity tool, a better version of Notion or Google Docs or Microsoft Office that really has a different way of working because because what we think is really that where we work has changed, but how we work hasn't. And uh, in, in the same way that um, tools came out that supported Agile for engineers during the advent of the personal computer, we're now living through another huge wave of disruption, which is the internet. And what people call remote work is really internet work. And we're transitioning from the from office work to internet work. And in that transition, um, the winners, the people who are the most productive, who um, work the fastest on the internet, are people who adapt to the internet, just as you need to adapt to other contexts in your life. Uh, and so in designing Almanac, it was important to us not just to think about what do we not like about the tools that we have, but more start from first principles with who are the most successful teams working on the internet today uh, and how have they adapted and evolved and innovated around this like amazing new technology and context in which we now all live and work to succeed. And so before we uh, like designed a single screen of our software, put uh, you know any code <laughs> down, but what we did is interviewed people from Netflix and Stripe and Amazon and Microsoft and, um, and Ramp and you know, thousands of other companies that you know uh, who are, who have, you know, by, by any external metric have done a really good job of growing, um, efficient teams and, uh, and hyper growth businesses on the internet. And we, we went to them and asked, like, what are you doing differently? It's everybody else. Like, what's your secret? And, and how did you figure it out? And, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, we did, we done 5,000 conversations over four years. I probably did half of them. Uh, That's we have humongous amount. I want to yeah. I want to jump in and say what's super interesting about what you're bringing up is just yesterday we were doing an interview with this guy named Matthew J who sold a company called Proctor U for several hundreds millions of dollars and one idea that the three of us kind of came up with during that podcast was kind of like flipping the narrative on like the cringy Silicon Valley thing that people do of like being like oh we're the Uber for this right we're the this for this and seeing that be like cringy but not cringy when they do it from a cultural standpoint so it's like, we're like Chick-fil-A, but a tech company, not in terms of like product, but in terms of like the spirit values or like Costco, but for this or Southwest Airlines, but for this. So I like that that's kind of implicit already. That That's kind of like a new framework the three of us were discussing yesterday that really got me excited and excited again today. And that's basically one fundamental premise or inherent value of what you're doing. It's like, no, we're emulating not like, oh, we're not like a sauna or like we're not Netflix in the sense that we've created a new business model for delivering video or entertainment. It's just like Netflix has a really interesting culture and we teach everyone how to take that from other companies and the digested. And I'd like to hear the rest of the, how these 25 interviews, 2,500 interviews you've done and the rest of your team has done have culminated into a thesis. But it's so cool on just podcasts that we don't schedule in a coordinated way in the sense of like, you know, I had this, I knew that the Matt interview yesterday would somehow create this idea, which would, it just is cool the, the way things overlap uh, coincidentally, maybe even. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's, 
we, in our space, I, I often think about uh, at least, you know, our, our businesses in the, the core productivity sector and what's super interesting about building in it is that you don't see a lot of like medium sized companies, uh, two of the, the top five biggest companies in the world are core productivity companies, uh, Microsoft and Google, and, and I guess even part of Apple. Um, and that's because the, the software that we're building is software that people don't just use like once a week. They use it. They don't even just use it once a day. They use it for eight to 10 to 12 to 15 hours a day. Most of their waking hours, they operate in a tool like Almanac. And, and that means it's really hard to, to break into the space because we're competing against some of the most successful enterprise product ever built. And so in order to get people to switch into a tool like Almanac, you have to first basically build everything that our competitors have because people need those table six features and there's a lot of them. Um, and, and the quality of them has to be, um, really, really great because people have super high expectations for what the basic software does. And then you need to find some crack in their armor, uh, something that they don't do that is a, uh, painful enough problem for enough people that they will switch from a, from a great product like Google Docs or Notion or Microsoft Word to a tool like Almanac. And, and so you see the products that have really succeeded in our space often I think offer a contribution to productivity. Uh, I think Notion is an amazing company and their contribution was figuring out how do you combine together docs and databases and almost slides into, into one bundle and, and they've continued to monetize that. But what Notion and the products before them haven't really figured out is, um, how do you actually integrate collaboration, uh, into the tool? A lot of, if you think about Microsoft Word, I think, uh, as kind of the start of, um, the start of our lineage. It's just a doc. It's a document. It's a really great document editor. Um, but it's basically taking a piece of paper and, you know, putting it on a PC and then what Google Docs did is figure out how to take that piece of paper and put it on the internet. And oh, now, now that the piece of paper is in one place versus on our different computers, we can work on it together at the same time. And then Notion took that piece of paper and combined it with a spreadsheet and with a slide. Um, and what we're doing at Almanac is integrating, um, collaboration workflows, uh, into into that bundle. And the reason that's important is because a lot of uh, collaboration uh, before remote work happened in an office. It happened, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a form of software. It was a meeting. It was a conversation. It happened like in the physical realm. Uh, and, and now that we are all working in a distributed fashion, we can't be in an office together all the time. And so we need to rely on software on the internet to power our collaboration, to help us make better decisions, to help us do sharing better uh, and, and disseminate knowledge, to uh, help us keep track of tasks and projects. Uh, and so like a piece of paper or even Notion uh, becomes total chaos when you actually are relying on it for uh, to, like to manage your collaboration because it wasn't designed to do that. It was designed to do this other thing. And and in a lot of ways, the reason I think we are we can, we as a company can be successful is because there's this huge trend that's powering us around this, the shift of work from the office to the internet. And I think a company like Almanac might not have been uh, remotely as successful as we have been if this happened like five or 10 years ago. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, the difference between Almanac and the other products that you mentioned, like the other products allowed individual contributors to create beautiful things like in Notion and Docs, even in the Microsoft suite, like but what you're talking about is the difference between those tools and your tool being this ability to collaborate. And you really outline in the modern work method, I think that's what you what, what it's called, um, yep. Yep. The, the problem, which is that 
because there's this difference between contribution and collaboration, uh, most modern workers are spending all of their working hours in meetings to talk about what they do at night. And it's kind of turning into this, you know, full, uh, full day work cycle and full work week cycle where in the mornings you're on meetings from 7 to 5 p.m. And that, you know, is 5 a.m. for some people and 9 a.m. for other people. And it's really difficult to collaborate at the same time. And that is something that you're trying to solve. So if you could kind of outline the, the problem from your perspective, as well as the like specific way that Almanac is solving that collaboration, uh, issue or like mismatch yeah well let's you know first talk about just the, the context of like what's happening at work now um you know remote work before the pandemic uh was at 21 percent knowledge workers in the single digits for uh all workers today uh 66 percent of uh white collar professionals work in a distributed fashion so there's been like a 4x jump uh in the amount of of people who are working in in uh, remotely or in a hybrid format. Um, and lots of other things changed uh, or kind of regressed to the norm post-pandemic. But remote work actually has continued to increase as a as a share of the American workforce every month, uh, even in the year and a half since the pandemic has ended. So it's almost like the one thing um, that 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 didn't go back to normal. And that's because, as I said, I, I think if you replace the word remote with the word internet, what's happening makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, the internet... Uh, at least in a, in a broad consumerish way it's it's 15 years old. The iPhone was invented in 2008. Um, like a lot of things, uh, there was a wave of consumer innovation first, where rather than just, you know, be connecting with our friends in the physical world, we had tools like Facebook and Instagram, rather than just going to restaurants, we could use the internet to order food to our homes. Uh, and so there's, there was a huge explosion in consumer use cases, leveraging this awesome power of the internet and enterprise is now following behind. Um, and you know, the first, the first wave of enterprise tools on the internet really, really about let's, let's take the physical work products and, or, you know, a, a work product that might be a dock on your computer and put it on the internet, but we're not actually going to like change where you work, but you'll be working online, even if you're in an office. And then what the pandemic really did was like, with a one-way door into remote work where we all realized collectively at the same time by force that, Hey, we're already all working on the internet. We don't actually have to be together. Uh, to, to create in real time in a Google doc or to chat in Slack. Like we don't have to be in an office to do that. We are, uh, and so we, where we work changed, right? We all started working on the internet. And then, and then the, the part two of that, the other shoe to drop was that, um, we realized that we didn't even need the office to, uh, to, to create together on the internet. But, um, what's been happening since the pandemic is most companies actually haven't changed, like how they're working. They're, we're, we are all still pretending even if we're working online, that we're in the same office from nine to five. And uh, with with a context, which is that, you know, most people in most teams don't even live in the same city or even in the same time zone or even on the same continent anymore. Um, work has changed because companies have now hired and continue to hire people um, who are geographically dispersed. But and so there's this tension between where we all are physically and uh, where we're working, which is on the Internet and and the way that we're, the way that we are adjusting to that or not. And most companies actually haven't evolved how they are working. We are still all working as if it's 1993 or 2003. And so if you look at all the indicators around the sustainability, to your point, Kyle, of, of work, uh, they're all blinking red. Uh, you, nobody, work wasn't great before when we were in an office, but also people weren't quitting their jobs in mass. 
Uh, and now we have this massive epidemic of burnout um, and things like quiet quitting, like phenomena that have never happened before um, that are that are sweeping the workforce. And a lot of that comes from this this kind of tension between uh, the the context in which we now work and live and and how we're how we're working. And so, as you said, Lewis, we've done a bunch of research to figure out like what's really going on here, like. What are the pain points? Like, where is it? Where is the rub really happening? And um, we've done interviews, we've done surveys with thousands of people to try and understand like what uh, what problem we can help solve. And there's there's three major tension points. The first is uh, meeting and message overload, uh, which I'm sure you all experienced. But we ask a we asked a, we've asked a question over the years that McKinsey first started asking in two, in 2015, which is what percent of your day do you spend responding to messages, um, sitting in meetings? Or, or finding information. And in, when McKinsey started asking this, this question, the answer was 68%, which is already a really high number. What do you think, like, do you guys have a, what's your, what's your guess at what percent of someone's work can they spend doing those three activities? As of 2015 or like uh, as of 20, as, as of 2023, sorry. Okay. All right. Let's on the count of three, Sarah answers at the same time. Uh, so we're going to give us our answers at the same Kyle time. Read it. Oh, Kyle read it in the, in research. <laughs> so he's staying out of it. I'm going to say like, 40%. 95%. If you think about meetings and messages as the tools we were using before to get stuff done, um, they're now being over, they're like on overdrive uh, as, as, as people are need more meetings and more messages because they're not together in the same place. And so people, and you brought this up, Kyle, like I was actually astounded to see that one in four people um, are spending most or all of their weekends doing their actual jobs. Uh, you know, it's, it's true for me, but um, people are having to make this choice between spending time with their families or their kids or on their hobbies and working. And so there's this just general sense of just like the machine that was kind of fine before when we were in an office is now spinning, spinning too fast and it's burning people. Yeah, uh, I'd like to hear the other two in a minute. I think one thing that came to mind that's funny kind of generationally that about a lot of what you're saying in terms of like the habits people have that have emerged. So, you know, my generation in terms of referring to people who graduated college before slash during the pandemic or even after, uh, depending on your framing of pandemic and like how you timestamp the periods of time as yeah. part of it, not part of it, et cetera. Basically, what my co-founder and I were kind of having conversations about today is we live together right now and we are discussing moving out because, you know, he's in a serious relationship, all of these things it makes sense for us to not live together anymore. And now we're like having all these arguments, not arguments, but discussions about should we have an office? Are you going to have to drive? Am I going to have to drive? Do I move to a building that has a WeWork as part of the building? Do you do that? And basically, we came to the conclusion, we're like, we have lived together for nine months. And I don't think we spent 20 hours working over each other's shoulders. Every office we're looking for, we're saying, okay, well, one consideration is we don't like working in the same room. So let's make sure there's two rooms. And it's like, and basically, uh, what we've come to is like, even though we live together, we do everything completely async. If we have a meeting, we prefer to take it on a huddle and screen share from separate rooms. And yeah. more over Slack than in person, even though we live together, we're on great, like there's no arguments. We just like objectively preferred that such that things are documented in a system such that the rest of the team who's distributed sees it. And we're like, ultimately, maybe we want to work together one day a week. So then it doesn't really matter if we live like 40 minutes from each other. And so it's super funny that generationally, we've actually been defaulted to the remote distributed systems and like don't even like see have a value. Like it's kind of just like we, we feel like we should have an office. That's awesome. But neither of us can actually justify it to each other, like why that would improve either of our lives or like help the company. A funny story is like I love offices because I'm a huge extrovert, and so like I, I'm probably older than you, but 
you know, I, I met a lot of my friends when I was in my early 20s through work and I, we would go out for drinks and stuff after after work. And like a lot of my close friends to this day are people that I sat next to. Um, and and so I grew up with offices. I thought they were critical to getting stuff done and to management. When we started Almanac, we had an office, beautiful office with uh, it's like your canonic, your canonical ideal of a startup um, startup space in San Francisco. And when the pandemic hit, um, everybody who works at our company, we were, we were distributed at the time, but we had a bunch of people on SF and everybody moved away to different places to Austin and to Utah and to New York and North Carolina. I was the last person living in San Francisco. And so we packed up our stuff from the office and, and I actually left SF for a couple of years myself. Now a bunch of us are back here in the city. My co-founder actually lives a mile and a half away, but I hardly see him to your point. Like I think the la- I saw him last, maybe in person a couple months ago, we talk every single day. You know, we're, uh, we're constantly exchanging comments and review requests on Almanac, but, uh, and I, and I feel very close to him, <laughs> uh, in many senses, but even though we're now back in the same city, we, we only really get together for social events, uh, for like drinks or dinner. And, and it's amazing. And, and I think we work faster and more productively now, uh, using Almanac really on the internet than we did before in an office. And so we've talked about like, Hey, should we get an office again? And we're like, we might as well just save the money and plan some great retreats. Um, you know, for what we, what we would have spent on rents. But I think going through that myself, that kind of like my conversion story to being a, a believer in the power of remote work is, uh, is amazing because, because there's no way I would go back to, to what I, to what I had now knowing what's possible in a more distributed context. I watched a YouTube video uh, a couple of years ago about a Samsung building being built, and I think it was Seattle. And one of the things that I found really interesting was that they planned it such that different um, parts of their team were like at different points in the office such that they would have to run into each other. And they like curved the um, the walls in such a way that you couldn't make a turn without like seeing their face. And I think that throughout history, there are a lot of examples of uh, interesting products, people coming together, uh, progress happening because of these chance encounters. And so I, I believe that the future is hybrid remote, but how do we effectively recreate the chance encounter in our, our digital workspace? Yeah, I, I actually don't believe that, I guess. Uh, and I, I think there's a famous story somewhere to what you're saying about Steve Jobs when he was designing the Pixar headquarters, having uh, a single bathroom to to force these random encounters so that different cross-functional people would bump into each other when they had to go pee at the and come up with a brilliant new movie concept. When we talk to the best teams on the internet, one of the counterintuitive things we learned is that uh, a, a common theme across them is that they approach work in a really structured and intentional way. And to take an example, uh, similar to your question, something like brainstorming. Um, what we found is that uh, people often say like, oh, well, brainstorming has to happen in person. Like that's where great ideas happen. It's like when you have a, a whiteboard and we can like scribble stuff together. Um, and what we learned is that there's actually like a better and a worse way to brainstorm <laughs> when you ask teams. Um, and I'm sure you've been in in-person brainstorms, you know, in a conference room, in a meeting. Uh, that's an absolute clusterfuck uh, where like there's there's no sense of what you're actually trying to answer. Um, no one's keeping time. Someone's really loud and drones on and on. You know, you end up like picking an idea that's like clearly not the best one. There's no action steps afterwards. Like, what do we even do with that time? Um, and uh, 
to contrast with that, you know, you can have a, a really great brain, a really great brainstorms. If you look at research on them, um, often start with a question in mind. Um, they give space for people to do rapid iteration on their ideas in silence so that no one can influence how everyone's thinking. Next, people, uh, the, the best thing to do is to kind of put the ideas together, to get feedback on them, to prioritize them, and to make sure you leave the meeting with the decision and with the action steps. And um, those, those best practices I just mentioned can happen in person, they can happen virtually, they can happen uh, synchronously in a Zoom meeting, they can happen async on a mirror board. Uh, and so I don't believe that context is is the critical factor or, or being in person yeah, is the critical ingredient to having those like chance encounters that lead to great ideas. I think the critical ingredient is um, structure and transparency uh, and and being intentional about what you're trying to do, essentially competence. Um, and and the best teams, the best teams we talk to are really intentional about how they pursue their work. They're thoughtful about it. Um, they don't really leave a lot of things to chance. They they try things, but then they evaluate whether they worked and then they iterate. So they're iterating on that process uh, as they are as they are working and producing products. And if you talk to the we, we talk to people at Pixar and uh, which is now a distributed company, by the way, and uh, and they believe that it's uh, it's about the way that they make movies that leads to um, like the creative uh, amazing experiences we all get to witness on the big screen more than it is to the design of the building. I can imagine that you're familiar with Jack Butcher, right, from Twitter. And he has yeah. a, it's kind of what you're saying about, he has this, let's call it visual, that says if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. And if your process for brainstorming is, I don't really know what, we just put eight people in a room and in a whiteboard and say Animal Planet, like Discovery Channel, whatever, fucking something happens. That's your, like, that's not a process, right? Versus Pixar is probably like, okay, we have a proven internal process for like, you know, 10 minutes of of just everyone dumps ideas, 10 minutes of tearing apart ideas, 10 minutes of everyone closes their eyes and, and takes alternate nostril breathing. And then after the end of the session, like we've, we've come up with some decent ideas. Maybe, I don't know. But like writer, like there's a way of doing things. And so I like that quite a bit. Uh, I'm curious to hear. So I think one thing that's interesting about your approach to the market, or at least my projection, perception of, of your approach is kind of your opinionation right? It's a combination of software and opinions, right? Because ClickUp is something I think has a lot of similarities, but yeah. they're not opinionated, right? Which means that for a certain segment, let's call them someone, for someone who doesn't have a system, they're not going to like, it is it is unearned, right? Like ClickUp is just overwhelming and you're not going to leverage it. Whereas you're kind of like, yep. you know, assembly included or whatever, like some instruct, like here's tools yeah. and what to do with them. Whereas ClickUp's like, yep. here's tools, good luck to you. So basically, one question I have for you, so my props, I have traction. We've, we've become kind of big EOS converts here at my company. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're familiar with EOS or have an opinion on them, good or for bad. I don't want you, I've heard that they're pretty tricky with their trademark and their public brand. So maybe we don't need to tear them apart if you're not a fan. <laughs> but if you are a fan, I'm like all for the, uh, the love festival. But I'm curious basically what your thought is. One, in terms of like the need to design, maybe like some of the answers to the question is a little bit more elaboration on like the fundamental paradigm shifts in terms of like why remote collaboration is somehow different whereas like a system like this doesn't plug and play nicely anymore or if there's just like it works for the things it works for but there's a couple new pieces of the equation so like one why are you choosing to capture this like what's the importance for go to market of combining tools with systems right combining like opinionated software and then also what's like your general reason why you like felt the need to invent your own system rather than like being like this is the tool that helps people implement 
getting things done. This is the tool that helps people implement other plug and play existing project management methodologies. Yeah. Well, I, I think first, there's a couple ways to answer that. First, the world doesn't need another ClickUp or a better ClickUp. ClickUp is an amazing tool. It's an amazing all-in-one tool. Notion's an amazing tool. Google Suite is an amazing tool. Microsoft Office is amazing. And if we approach the problem, like if we want to start a company around the idea of how do we build a better version of those, we wouldn't win uh, because they're because they're really good at what they do. And they already, they already, I think, have captured the market and lead the market for their specific value propositions, which in ClickUp's case, I think is like an all-in-one tool, as you said, and an opinionated tool that you can do anything with. And so for people who want that, ClickUp's, you know, your guy or your girl. Um, I think a second reason is that um, when we looked at where the problems were in the market, people weren't telling us that they needed a better ClickUp either. Uh, what people were saying is, um, I'm overloaded with meetings and messages. Um, my collaboration is completely chaotic. Like I use ClickUp and I use Notion. And while it's great for combining all these things together, like I still am slow at getting stuff done and I'm getting slower and slower by the day. And the third thing is that like, there's a lack of connection and trust in a lot of teams. And so what we heard is not that like, I want a better tool. What we heard is that like, like work sucks. And like, can you help us? And, you know, today when customers come to us, I'd say 75% of them aren't asking for a better tool when they ask for a demo of Almanac. What they're really asking for is a better way of working. They, they want the answer of like, how should I be working? And so even people who come to us saying, hey, we, we're looking for a new wiki or we're looking for a new task management system. When you really dig into what they're looking for, they're, they're trying, they're buying change. They're buying a future state of their company that is more efficient and more productive and faster than, than what they have today. And, and even, you know, that, that manifests even in the details around like, we're like, oh, hey, here's how you can build a handbook and almanac. And the question we always get is like, what should be in my handbook? <laughs> and so it's not just like, there's lots of wiki tools out there that are pretty good. Um, the world doesn't need more of them. Customers don't need more of them. What they need is an, an answer to, how should I adapt and manage and survive in this like completely changed operating landscape that's like messing me up? Sure. And so, so that's, that's like, I think we've been following our, our customers. Yeah. Why then build software and not just training? Because nobody has time at like 9 p.m. at night to figure out a better way of working. And nobody has time in the day to like teach their teams how to, how to change. I mean, I think that there's lots of parallels here to other types of behavior change. Um, you know, I think the reason people sign up for like diet programs, for example, or go to a CrossFit gym um, is because just by showing up, uh, you get like a better, more optimized way of, of doing things. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to invent it yourself. You don't have to like put yourself through a rigorous training program. Um, like just by, just by being there, you get better. And, uh, and I think the best way to help people change is to just make it automated, to make it something they don't have to think about. Um, like to your point, it's, takes a lot of manual effort to like perfectly configure ClickUp or Notion or whatever the tool to like to people are going to color out the lines of your system right unless they're literally not able to uh, it's amazing to see what people have done with our tool and and how people have like built on it and optimized it and done things that we could never have imagined and it's, and in some ways it's, it's it's meant to be to give people basic building blocks of collaboration that they can customize because every company is different everyone's approach to uh, collaboration, decision-making, knowledge sharing is different. Um, but you know, a lot of like what we are doing are best practices that like management consulting firms have been selling to big companies for millions of dollars every year. Like the idea of just like, you know, if you have a request of somebody add a deadline to it, 
Make sure you give them context around that request so they don't have to slack you or call a meeting. Um, clarify decision roles, like who who is the approver here that has the veto if they don't like it? Um, who should be informed? Do those people know what their role is in a process? And so what we've done is just basically take uh, insights that we've heard from thousands of companies at this point around like what works well for them and codify it into, into software so that you can adopt it just by buying our software, by using it. You're getting like all the accumulated wisdom of um, you know, tens of thousands of people who have been working on this stuff over the last 30 years. That's excellent. I think uh, one thing that separates Almanac and from my perspective is the clear focus on beauty. I think I have used ClickUp and I'm not trying to hate on ClickUp at all. I, I don't think it's beautiful. Um, I, I think that it's obvious that your team spent a lot of time focusing on making a beautiful product. And I think that that generally comes from the top, uh, which would be you. And so what were your desires around beauty? And was it something that you, you know, considered, thought about? And was that like, you know, a core uh, top of mind uh, um, thing during product development and ideation? Yeah. And well, I'm as a product manager, I believe in the idea that people are lazy, vain and selfish. And so if you want to build a successful product, uh, you have to make it uh, easy and fast for people who are lazy. Uh, you have to make it beautiful, make people's work and activity look beautiful for people who are vain. Uh, and you have to give people credit for people who are selfish. And so, uh, of course, uh, I think that from a strategic sense, the beauty of our product is about helping people make even their like work and process ideas or drafts look beautiful from the start without having to really spend a lot of time on formatting uh, compared to like even, uh, you know, a Google Doc or a Microsoft Word Doc. And make the experience of creating and collaborating an almanac beautiful too because people want to they want to work and live in beautiful spaces kind of like the apartment building it looks like you're you're in right now i i think um like design and beauty have have business value um and, and so i think that's uh that that's one reason that we focused on it um i think another reason is because we because we we care <laughs> uh i think uh deep care for and, and love for our product and a sense of like passion and craftsmanship for perfecting what we build is a is is a unifying trait at Almanac. I think if we could describe our internal culture in one word, it's excellence. Um, we have to be excellent because the market demands it, as I was mentioning with our competitors, our, our customers expect it. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of a business mandate that we be excellent. But um, I also care deeply as a as a person about uh, about excellence. I want to work. I, I want to achieve it for myself. I want to work with people who are who are excellent. And it's really hard, I think, to work in a high performance environment like Almanac. Uh, but you know that excellence extends not just to the way the product looks and feels. It extends to the performance of the product, the reliability of it, um, our internal processes for how we conceive and refine and design and build and ship features. Um, we care about every part of, uh, of, of what we do, because in the end, I think what we are shipping is our culture. Uh, we ship our people, we ship our culture. We don't just ship ideas. And, and, you know, I think you can, one of the great things about, you know, I think well-designed products is you see lots of companies try and copy, uh, those, those products. Like a lot of people look at Linear's website and, and try and copy it, but nothing looks as good as Linear's website because it, because the website is an output of, 
um, linear's culture and the processes and the structures and norms that come from that culture. And so you can try and copy like the pixels and the fonts and the colors and the gradients all day long, but you're never going to be as good as linear. They will always be steps ahead of you because it's innate in their DNA. And I think the same thing is true for us. We believe that it's those values that we're shipping. And, and that means we're always going to be ahead of the competition, ahead of the curve when it comes to the things we care about. Yeah. Well, Kyle and I were having so much, uh, discussion of the ideas that you're having just now as well. Like I love the culture of excellence and like surrounding yourself by excellence and how the inner values, when you actually embody them, there's no way you can't stop them from flowing outward for good or for bad. So if you're actually are genuinely living good values, that's what's going to flow outward. And if you are not like genuinely uh, exerting good values then or living out good values, then that's also going to be publicly visible, authentically visible and like unavoidable. I think one interesting point as well in terms of like excellence and in terms of the actual tool. And like, I think a lot about what you're accomplishing and the, the value you're delivering to other organizations, right? Is because if this is a system of conducting work in a way that produces excellence, in a way that demands excellence, then that's going to help all these companies. I think a lot about compounding in business, right? I think that's something I'm sure you think about often as well as someone who's very much like intellectualizes about all things internet. That's kind of one of the very table stakes, like things that comes to make people excited about the internet at scale. I think that's one of the exciting things about the field of knowledge management and that like, what makes the field of like ops and processes sexy, for people who like don't think they're sexy is like realizing to the extent that that unlocks growth and compounding for your business, because it's like the amount of marginal effort to bring a brand new person into your organization, when everything is well established, is like, or the amount of the time to that person being a value adding contributor, you know, approaches zero every day, or like it's fat, smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And when you have a proven process for every piece of the puzzle, it's continues to compound. And then the organization just becomes more and more and more effective. Uh, I'm happy to have you speak to that. But one thing I want to throw into the mix quickly is especially in terms of having structured basically how important this is kind of a bit of a curveball coming into the question here. And I made a joke to Kyle a moment ago that my questions are not just experiencing scope creep, they're experiencing scope explosion. I'm just having a lot of fun chatting today. But a little curveball into the question, in terms of structured knowledge, how do you feel about the rapidly evolving capabilities of large language models to basically make structured knowledge less important when you can just throw in a, a clusterfuck of like, here's everything that's ever happened inside this company that's like documented in some way, documenting is in like, was on a recorded call, it was sent in a public Slack channel. Here's every public thing that's been documented in some way. And a language model can like retrieve and sift through it. Like, do you see that becoming, allowing people to relax their discipline in the near future? Yeah, well, I think to the to your first point, I, uh, I'm a big fan of James Clear. And uh, I think the value of processes is, and I'm gonna butcher a quote of his, uh, which is that he always says, you don't rise to the level of your ambitions, you fall to the, the quality of your systems. And, uh, and I think that's true in all areas of our lives, right? Uh, you know, so much of like behavior change or, or personal goals people often have around diet or nutrition or, or whatever are really about like having, having better systems for when you're not at your best and, and catching yourself so that you do can make consistent progress. Um, and, and I think that's what Almanac does for teams in a work setting. Uh, we provide guardrails uh, for companies so that it, not for the moments where you're absolutely flawless and perfect, but for all the other moments when you're not. And, and I think those are most of the time. 
especially in, in startups or fast moving companies. I think to your question on, on AI, you know, we think what we're building at Almanac is a structured collaboration platform. And so that's what we call it and what our customers call it. And one of the amazing things about collaboration is that it's a deeply human exercise. And so I, I think, I think about AI as like the next form of, you know, Steve Jobs used to call personal computers, like a bicycle for your mind. And, and AI is like a race car <laughs> for your mind where, um, you know, it, it, it supercharges your productivity. And, and I would distinguish it between productivity and collaboration. You know, productivity is getting stuff done uh, for yourself faster or more efficiently. And I think, yeah, when it comes to, you know, accessing past knowledge, I think AI and things like semantic search will help us find answers faster with less structure than is needed before. A lot of that comes down, of course, to how good you are at asking the LLM what you need. And, and so I think, um, yeah. I think about AI as just like another, another wave of technology. And if you think about something like Google, uh, there are some people who are better at asking Google, uh, accessing knowledge through Google. There are some people who could be asking a basic question and like, and still fuck it up. Uh, and so I think there's, there's still a bell curve in general about like how people leverage technology. And I think what uh, AI will do for something like knowledge management is it's going to move the curve up into the right. Like the average person is going to get better at it, but there will still be some people who like are have really figured out how to leverage AI to be a competitive advantage when it comes to knowledge management. And there's some people who are going to be like hopelessly lost, even with a better tool. When it comes to collaboration though, like LLMs are about accessing information in the past. And the one thing that defines human interaction is that it's unpredictable. I can't tell what you guys are doing. Like I, I can do something to you and I, I cannot predict what you're going to do. Um, uh, in fact, that's like the one thing that keeps brains from aging is, um, like the one independent variable that's most correlated with anti-aging is human interaction. Because every time you talk to another human and they do something unexpected, your brain is like literally, literally re rewires itself. There's some great Stanford research on this to accommodate for that, that new data point. And so, um, you know, I think productivity will make us all faster and more efficient on average. Uh, but I think like getting stuff done together, uh, as you were saying, Kyle, like the, the deeply human exercise of coming up with ideas that are greater than anything that we could do on our own, like that can't be automated. <laughs> that has to be something that will always be an activity that happens between humans in some respect. It doesn't have to be in an office in a meeting together, but it will always require people to come together and work together. Um, and, and I think we will always need like tools and behaviors and norms for that. And I, and I think in some ways it almost for AI has shown us at Almanac how valuable what we are building is because oh, um, AI can't, it can't make us work together better together. It can't improve this conversation. That's something that, that only we can do as humans. And, um, and in some ways that will always be a, a human exercise around figuring out better ways to, to create and collaborate as a team. I'm a, I'm a hesitant guy with, with definitive words around things uh, around AI right now. Can't and, uh, and always, those are scary words for me, but. I want to ask a couple bonus questions. I'm forgetting the names of the authors and a lot of old knowledge in my mind is kind of surfacing back, to, especially when I was super into like Rome research and was reading a lot of those like essays that, um, oh my goodness. How to take smart notes. No, not, not, not how to take smart notes, but like the Vanny Verbar Bush, I've screwed up that name, whatever his name. Yeah, Zettelkasten. Like, and, and the Zettelkasten and, and all these fun things. And I love the metaphor of the bicycle for the mind. And I love the metaphor of the race car for the mind. Uh, and we're getting into a couple quick bonus questions here. So one thing that's even better than boast a bicycle and a race car is an airplane. You have a very abrupt sentence in your LinkedIn bio that's like, you know, I'm Adam, I do all these things, blah, 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 blah. I like airplanes. 
Um, let's 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 hear a little bit about like the the, the how airplanes and well, whether it's a side interest that doesn't really have a relation to everything we've discussed today or not. I'm I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm a big uh, commercial aviation nerd. You could say um, I I always have been. I wrote my college admissions essay about going to the airport. <laughs> uh, and uh, earlier in my career, I worked on the network planning team for Hawaiian Airlines for a couple of years. Uh, and I've continued to maintain a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of uh, airlines and, uh, and aviation. Um, I can, uh, I know way more than I should about <laughs> routes and fleets uh, for the intensity of my job. But, you know, I, it's, it's, it's just fascinating. It's like a super strategic in- industry. It's operationally really in- intensive. There's a tons, there's tons of like product and customer service elements that are, uh, to your point, Kyle, on design, like just fascinating about how, uh, airlines and like crafted these amazing experiences in the sky and, and compete. Um, and, uh, I, th- I think I compare it to like football <laughs> where, you know, there's like teams and players and strategies and like all of these like plays and games that happen, uh, like in a season. And, uh, just, just so that I think people can nerd out on like the data rich aspects of professional sports, I nerd out on, on aviation. Lewis and I graduated from the university of Alabama. So we're all for a football <laughs> analogy. Um, but I have one last question for all of the stressed employees out there. What is one recommendation for them to become less stressed? Like a work habit. Yeah. And yeah. they're a remote employee. This is just my, my personal strategy more than uh, more than anything. But I think it is backed by research. Uh, turn off your computer and get outside. <laughs> I, you know, in the same way that parents uh, limit screen time for kids. And, you know, there's this interesting dynamic that like tech executives or white collar professionals that spend the most time on screens are actually... Uh, the most intense about limiting the amount of time their kids uh, spend in front of a computer or TV or, or iPad. I think the best thing you can do to create a sense of balance and fulfillment is to like spend time away from your computer. It's so easy to get sucked into uh, into Slack or into meetings or into the next thing on your to-do list during your email. Um, and, and I think uh, for me, the thing that restores me and provides me the most energy is just um, getting outside. Uh, could be going for a walk, or going to the gym. I'm a big skier and surfer and, uh, and cyclist. And there's nothing like a life threatening activity to bring you into the present moment and make you focus on what's important. But, you know, I, I find that balance every day in some ways. And I think it, it's part of the like retraining in this like post office world we live in that, uh, work doesn't have to be everything. There's, there's like a whole big, great world outside with lots of fascinating stuff that makes uh, you, you, and I think we all need to embrace more of that. Yeah. I have a coach slash mentor, whatever you want to call him, uh, named Logan Fitz and his, his expression is just touch grass. It's like, do you touch grass today? Touch, touch some grass and it encapsulates some skiing, water, right? That sand, but touch, touch some grass. Uh, Adam, I'm really grateful that we had this opportunity for the podcast. I think it's important for people to give themselves kind of the permission to, to realize that learning how to be an effective remote employee and or an effective remote leader is not something that is default and is not something you should like expect yourself to grasp automatically intuitively based on past experience based on raw intelligence it's just a complicated domain and you've been you know generous enough to the world to spend a lot of time 
really drilling down these ideas into some robust frameworks that are really thought out and deliberate and simplified. So where can people go read your work and train themselves and come to get up to speed and then also keep up with you personally? Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to learn more about the modern work method, I think it's modernworkmethod.com. And uh, we have all of our research there as well as hundreds of free templates uh, and workflows that can help you um, optimize key processes you have, like setting goals or brainstorming uh, or tracking your progress. Um, and we'd love to have you try out Almanac, which is really designed to automate um, all that so that you can just be faster on the internet without thinking about it. And come check us out at almanac.io. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn all day long. So you can find me at, I think, Adam P. Nathan on those sites. 